0: focused on helping organizations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 93 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Mr. Scott Copeland on the show with us today. Scott is an organizational change, agile IT, and project management expert. He has taught in project management at the University of Washington. Scott is the author of the new book, The Integrator, a Change Management Framework for Achieving Agile IT Project Success. Let's get into the episode. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Scott,
0: mate, what's your backstory? What, what brought you down to this place of writing a book on actually achieving success with a Agile Transformation?
1: Well, it was really grounded in the fact that I initially had been working in project management, mostly IT early in my career, and it all seemed to focus on projects and all seemed to focus on IT, but there were all these things called human beings getting in the way, and so it just seemed so illogical to not understand and try and make sense of, well, what about the people, and why is it that their behaviors are obstacles and in fact how do we turn that around so we started focusing on the fact that you know let's look at what's happening with the people and see if we can help them understand and maybe we should be changing the it and changing the project so you don't really do that individually look at it and stand alone and look at the project stand alone so i thought well let's figure out a way to integrate it and make it all work together as a combined sort of action plan. And so that's what started. And over 45 years, I developed a methodology, a company, wrote two books on it, taught on it, and it grew. It made things happen. It was successful.
0: Well, it's such a key topic, isn't it? Because like, I know there's so many different stats getting around about how many projects fail, how many transformations with agile fail or lean or anything else. Like it's, it's the odds aren't stacked in your favor typically, are they?
1: Well, there are numbers and the classic kind of reports that came out many years ago about IT projects greatly improved with the data that was presented and the advent of various methodology. And today we we think of agile, we think of that methodology. But once again, that's you know grounded in a philosophy of teamwork. And it's grounded in the philosophy of allowing for the team to work independently and yet integrate what they think independently with the product owner sharing with the users. And then together they look at a small piece that they've built, and boy, that sparks new ideas or improvements, and they iterate over the short intervals. So wow, that you know what does that all mean? It's well people getting engaged early. It's the people again. And if you think about it, it's the people on the team on the project and it's the people on the team on the IT and you add the agile philosophy to it. And again, it's the behavioral integration with all of that. So I think that combination breeds a greater level of success.
0: It's a great point. You know, You can have the best system in the world, but if you can't have the behaviors that link with it, and actually bring it to life and make it successful, it's, it's not gonna work. Like, it's a really key word, I guess you said there that it's a behavior, it's the people that apply to that system that may be great, you know, and help you really move forward.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, looking at it at an organizational level, it's group behavior. But then if you think about an organization, it's leadership and the group working together. And there are many different groups and many different cultures within the organization. So how do you, how do you coordinate that? And that's what's part of it. And then if you think of organizational kind of, as an, the organization's an entity and the people as, you know, let's say there's 90,000 people working in this, in this environment or it's a group of 10, it doesn't matter. They all essentially face the same issues. Um, it's just a matter of how to we'll deal with it at scale.
0: Yeah, too true. Now, Scott, I understand that The Integrator is written as a story, and which is great. You know, I, I love that approach. It it's, makes it so enjoyable and such a good book that you've written. Do you mind giving us an overview of The Integrator and those key elements that I guess you're really educating on and helping people learn to truly achieve success?
1: Well, the backstory on that is, I originally got a teaching gig because um, a particular individual uh, who was teaching was a radiologist who basically gave up his physician career to become a teacher, and he did a terrific. He always, you know, chosen as the top professor in the program every year as the best teacher, and he brought me in, and I was so. Thankful that I said, Hey, let's write a book on the methodology I teach. He goes, Well, I don't understand anything about it. You just, you know, you've, you're the one. And I said, Well, you've been standing in the classroom with me, working with me on this. And so we wrote the book. And it, you know, it's kind of like a cookbook where there's a list of here's what you do at this step, and these are the ingredients. And that then employed with some industry experts commenting on their success or failure in applying it. And that's all well and good, and it's you know somewhat of a supplemental textbook as opposed to the main that is an IT project management textbook. This would be sort of a, the side textbook that would enhance your understanding with some real world and cookbook information. So I was always hearing from my wife, who is quite the writer and a playwright and writes in dialogue and narrative that you know, you've got to tell the story. You've got so many stories to tell. So 45 years of doing this and 30 years of my own company, and I do have a lot of stories. And so I decided to approach it as a story. And so I had to learn how to write dialogue because, you know, professional business writing doesn't get into two people in a meeting as, as as you write, you, you know, you write a recommendation about what you found and the results of the meeting. Well, in the way I wrote the book was you tell the story and there are two people in a meeting. And one of them says, well, we do have literally 90,000 people we have in this organization. It's called LA County. And of them, there's a subset. That's, you know, many, many thousands of people that make up healthcare and this six hospitals in this County system. And gee, how do we tap into getting everybody to work together on a strategic plan? And I said, Well, you know, I'm this character, Max. And through Max's eyes, I say, Well, that's, that's very easy. You can narrow it down to about seven to nine representative people. Um, and, you know, there's a riot going on in the room when I say this, you can't possibly do that. And I said, Well, yeah, here's how. Um, why don't you consider this? And they, so we had this dialogue. This character, Max, says, Well, you can do that. Here's what you do, and here's how you go about it. And they, there's questions firing back and forth. And it starts out with, they're, they're annoyed with Max. They think he's crazy. He's pushing an idea that makes no sense. And by the end of the dialogue, they're in agreement. And then later on, they're talking about doing it again themselves in a situation where they pull it off. But you're reading the story as opposed to the cookbook. So that's how it evolved. And so you hear the story, then the story comes out as, Max is a hairy project manager who gets a phone call from the CEO of LA County, and she says, Max, I know you know systems, but we've got this $145 million project that the hospitals are working and it's going to take the county out financially because it's tied to our bond rating in, indirectly, but it could be perceived as that. And can you come help us figure it out, what's going on, and then solve the problem? and he comes there and he has 30 days. He's given 30 days to figure it out and design a solution, not implement it, but to figure out what that solution might be. And he pulls it off with some additional time that he begs for, and then it's implementing it, and he gets hired on to do that. And it's through his eyes that he describes this, but there are people out there who are literally criminal. There are people out there, people die, there are people out there who are doing everything to stop him in every possible way. There's career-ending things discovered. And he goes through all this with this back and forth interaction across this spectrum of people using the methodology and helping them understand it. And then the reader takes part in that by understanding it from this perspective. And so that's that's how the story came together. You know, that's a Thumbnail of the story and and how the methodology is woven in. The objective is that I just want it to be more, sort of, shall I say, palatable, so people can consume it. Because the other way, you know, the first book, it's still around and it, it's a great doorstop in my mind. <laughs> but this, I hope, is you know, I call it the integrator because I think of a Marvel comic, you know, and I think of some big monster coming in and doing something. And so that that was the other thing I thought. There's a stack of books, if we ever look at stacks of books at a store anymore, and you see them laid out, and you see these titles for IT and project management, all these things, and you see sort of geometric shapes or colors, but there's no message in that. It's just a design. And then you see this book that has a hand with all these symbols in it, of sort of icons of computers and people. And, management symbols and such and it's and it's like this little crucible holding it and then it says the integrator and it's like well well i think people's eye would be caught when you contrast that with the other and so that's more metaphorical but that's sort of the metaphorical instance that i'm trying to describe in the book you know let's come up with a a way to bring you in that's a little different
0: i i love it scott i think that's uh it's a great approach and like i remember years ago Reading the goal by gold Goldrat, and you know I enjoyed that so much, and I'm hearing the same from from yourself, Scott. It, um, was it I'm, I'm hearing too? It was helpful w- with your wife being a playwright. I had a lot of help from my wife with my book, and um, you know, behind every great man or every great woman is a is your partner, isn't
1: it? And um, absolutely, yeah, it's great. Absolutely, Scott. With oh, sorry, mate. No, no, the, the book, The Goal, is definitely something that, um, you know, it comes to mind and, and was something that I thought about. It was a great sort of model for me to think in terms of when, when characterizing and starting my book. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah, that's great. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a book overview and press release Scott has kindly provided us. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Let's get back to the episode. Um, Scott, with the book you've written on such a key topic, you know, I, can, I heard from earlier in our conversation, it's this you've got this system of agile, which is really powerful and, you know, proven amazing results over and over and over again. But we know that there's a lot of challenges with actually making it stick. And, and you mentioned there's the people factor that you apply to that. And then it's the, actually the behavior of these small teams and the behavior of leadership that m- makes or breaks that effort. What are those key things that you, you write in the book that people can consider to actually help achieve more success Than not achieve the transformation
1: well it's the number one issue is leadership and so that that is a a challenge if you don't have the kind of leadership necessary And, and there are you know as you think about it how do i manage upwards that that is a terrifically difficult thing to do and so in many respects you have to In those circumstances, maybe you have to leave the organization because you don't have what's important, the driver, which is leadership. But let's make the assumption that there is at least a reasonable sense of leadership and a leadership team that's there with the intent of driving success. And so leadership is the key. Uh, And then if you think about the people that that leadership has to manage. It's trying to understand how to align everyone towards a common purpose, the vision of the organization that leadership would like to cultivate. The leadership can't define it and mandate it. They have to cultivate it and get a collaborative, collective, and collaborative understanding of it across the organization that's one element then the other element is what about all those individuals who have their own individual purposes that how do you align those with the organization as a whole so the elements are leadership and a vision that is collectively created by all the participants in the organization and then the actual individuals that make up that organization from the front line middle management up to the top or in smaller organizations whether it's not much in the way of middle managers, the top and front line, whatever that collective is, each one of those members of that collective have their own view. And so how do we take advantage of making it so those individual views work with the overall purpose of the organization? So it's an alignment of the individual with the overall organizational purpose. And there are techniques to do that. I don't know, if you want me to go into that level of detail, I can share that with you briefly. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, definitely. Scott, I was wondering, Scott, if, if we could start with the, the first point on leadership and then come to the alignment bit. Like Sure. With, with the leadership you mentioned as point number one, what do you find are the key behaviors of leadership that make or break this type of success and transformation and agile or not?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is, is comes down to an individual who is a leader or an individual who is a member of the organization, maybe on the front line, is our, I guess the word that I like to use is our sense-making. What is our sense-making as individuals about what's happening around us and the people we are interacting with and how we respond? And a leader needs to be in, blunt terms, mentally centered in a way that they, their sense-making isn't about their ego, their fears, or their weaknesses. It's got to be more about what's actually they perceive and then checking in as to whether that perception, because everything is going to be filtered by our perception. So what do, we, what do I see as a leader? And then how do I check in with the people around me? that what I'm seeing is indeed an accurate picture. And if I see something and I get a reaction from my management team that says, you're off point, that you aren't, mis- aren't understanding, you are misunderstanding, then how do we reconcile? How do you as a leader reconcile? Do you bring that in as a collective understanding or do you turn around and mandate that that's, you know, what you're hearing is wrong? These are very basic human interactive behaviors. So if you think about applying that as a senior level, you're interested in surrounding yourself with people who will be willing to share their thoughts and you provide an environment for trust. There's a great, great phrase, trust is the coin of the realm. And the I think it's David Bergen, I think it was a press secretary under a Republican or Democratic president in, here in the United States. And it's like, how could you, play in both camps. Well, obviously, you you know how to bring about a trusting relationship with people. So you have trust, people are willing to communicate, and you together have arguments, but not in terms of personal. You argue over what's the best approach, and you breed that behavior. And how do you do that? You do it through storytelling. We only have stories. That's really all we are. It's a collection of stories. So if senior management and the top executive says, well, I want to go build an electronic health record system because this is going to improve things, as opposed to they tell a story, well, when I implemented one and it changed the lives of these people, we now have this growing level of health care in our community that I came from and I now want to bring to this community. And people are now the numbers of people who have health insurance in this community that I came from and are getting the care because of the system we put in offer. And you tell this story. It's interesting as opposed to kind of like my first book. So that, so if you do storytelling and then middle management, here's storytelling from top management, top management and, and middle management exchange their stories. Middle management does the same with the frontline management. And then you distill that. You have a common story that gets built And that common story then can be distilled into a purpose of the organization that people have ownership in. And that ownership isn't based on, I told my story and you told your story and we have agreement. It isn't that. It's just that you heard my story and I heard yours. I had a chance to make my facts about what I see as facts in this world that I live in share it with you. And you did the same. And there'll be commonalities and differences, but that storytelling when distilled across an organization really builds a way to crystallize a purpose that people will get behind because they all had a chance to participate. So that's where leadership from the top to the bottom. And notice it isn't a single individual. It's a team and it's a chain or a group of be it hierarchical that starts at the top and you work your way through all the way down and you have to keep saying the same message the same trust the same input methods and that collective understanding is what is to brood through that process so that's my story of leadership in a nutshell
0: Look, i guess i hear two things in there i really hear you talk about from a leader building that trust and in a way building that trust through humility but also scientific thinking in a way you, you don't assume that anything's gospel in your mind and check it debate it have that conversation understand it but then also I love the connection you just made from storytelling in a way to creating alignment on vision like what is a vision but or you know a purpose but it's it's a description of that story we're trying to head towards isn't it and that alignment yes. that you're getting it's a really great way to do it I remember seeing a Henry Ford story years ago where he spoke about you know doing away with the horse and every every person with an with an average wage can own a car and drive that great country. Like, there's some cracking examples out there, aren't there?
1: Absolutely, and and the idea of sort of the humanity of the story as opposed to the strict list of to do's is is compelling. It you know it's um well it, it speaks to all of our senses some some people can, can hear see and you know physically can, can aesthetically feel the story it it it's however you take in and communicate whatever mechanism from a scientific standpoint that works for you you're brought in when it becomes a storytelling environment and so that it is very helpful to get people to join in the storytelling because you're essentially choosing a a, a generic way or a broad spectrum way of communicating that no matter what your method of learning and intake is that storytelling is inviting to you because whoever you are you're you know i'm working on the the audio level that's what really works for me and i can obtain that from the storytelling versus the kinesthetic where i kind of feel the experience and so forth
0: yeah that's brilliant and you look at a lot of the, you look at the, a lot of the leaders above the great organisations that have really nailed it with Agile, and they are storytellers all the way. Like they're visionary and they tell these stories that are mega, don't they? I was just listening to um, Mark Zuckerberg on the Tim Ferriss show the other day, and you know there was that many pictures he was painting in my brain about the future, the stories that he was telling. And this is for an introverted guy that calls himself an introverted guy. So I reckon that's pretty good going.
1: Well, you know, the whole idea of coming up with a purpose that drives people um, and that, you know, that's what the story or vision of an organization is about, you know, to have a purpose. And so this is clear that we as an organization and we have buy-in about we as an organization are all about this purpose. Sort of got half the battle won, the other half gets back to what about all those people that told that's their story and you got distilled into the organization? So, where does their individual purpose fit in? Does it align? And and if it doesn't, what do you do? And that's that's the next step.
0: Um, I'm really keen to explore that, Scott, because you know, in a way, we've covered this really great area of purpose and this really great area of, you know, having that purposeful vision in a way is what we're talking about, a purposeful vision, which I love that connection of it. And that bolts, that bolts straight into the um, agile system of having that longer term vision and goals and then setting the shorter term sprint vision and goals. So at all, what you're talking about, just bolts straight into the agile system. What, what right. is a bit yeah. that you write about Scott when it comes to then people whose vision and purpose and maybe behaviors just don't bolt in at all to that organizational path. And it, some of them can become disruptive. What's what's your well, view
1: there? I think, again, it comes back to that word sense-making. And my view, my sense-making versus your sense-making is very different because we're all very diverse, whether – one wants to homogenize in their mind or not. We are completely different plants or animals out there. So the point is that I need to get an understanding of, of uh, as a superior or to use a less pejorative sounding term, as a leader, whether I'm at the top, the middle, or line leadership, I need to get an understanding, get into the sense making of the individuals that work for me and see where they're from and they need to understand me uh, now, what does that mean? Because that's, you know, sounds like a vast pool of who knows what, but the reality is it generally comes down to two things, my beliefs and my abilities. And if you say we as an organization have this stated purpose and we get into a dialogue we understand each other, hopefully, through a dialogue where one is mandating, but one is listening and trying to clarify and understand the other. And we think about skill sets. Well, that's what we're talking about when, when I mean ability. Well, if you're asking me to do something that I'm using new technology in a way I've never used before, well, I need training. It's, you know That's what ability is about. That's kind of an easy one, I mean, in a sense, because it's much more tangible. So if we take that tangible skill set need, then it's up to me as a leader to not you know, undercut you by putting you into a situation where you don't have the skill. You're, you know, basically, I'm saying you're going to put you, set you up for failure. I want to set you up for success. So what greater way to buy you in to aligning with the organizational purpose, but to give you the opportunity to, to learn a new skill. So that means... That, that there's different styles or, excuse me, different categories of leadership. The authorizing party leader at the top is kind of the patron who provides the resources and provides the go-ahead and says, this is the one we're, we're starting with as based on our purpose. Here are the resources. Here's the time, the money, the people. Well, now middle management or front line is saying, okay, you need to be trained. Okay, so there is money set aside for the training. You are given time. From your day-to-day duties so you can learn you're challenged in the job so you can use those skills in a safe way and maybe make a mistake without it being you know serious because it's in a, in a sandbox if you will an environment where you can test and fail without causing adverse effects so that's the skill set side that's the ability side and then take the belief side that becomes I hate the word soft skills. It's just that we have difficulty understanding how to make these tangible. The word tangibilize comes to mind. So how do I tangibilize your beliefs? Well, let's say you have beliefs that are clear in the sense of one of them is what is your passions in your work? Well, obviously they may not be in sync, but if some of your passions relate to for example, if you're in healthcare and you want to provide bedside care, then maybe we put you on a team where bedside care delivery is as a nurse is what you're doing as opposed to your administrative position. So we put you in a team that maximizes the use of your desire, your beliefs to do the bedside care. Maybe we put you with a senior, maybe you work to report directly to the chief nursing officer who is a well-known person and hence had a career of decades starting at the caregiving at the bedside and working her way up to the top as a senior executive. And now you, you have a desire and a set of beliefs that you want to apply. And we're going to give you as leadership an opportunity to learn from this individual. And by the way, be challenged by this individual and the roles that you play. To align yourself with your passion. By the way, not only aligned yourself with the passion, giving you opportunity, it happens to match the passion of the organization to implement an electronic health record system that maximizes, let's say, bedside care. So I've sewn together saying the leadership collectively with the organization built a purpose. Now we're going to go to each individual, each what I would refer to as the leadership all the way through the chain of command. These are the Reinforcing leaders. They're reinforcing what the authorizing leadership has said is the case. The authorizing leader is a single individual. We, as reinforcing leaders, work for you. And together, we're working with our direct reports and encouraging them through skill training to have better uh, opportunities to apply their abilities now in a new way that meet the purpose. And likewise, we're matching up your desires and your beliefs to maximize again, tying them directly to your own personal purpose. And that own personal purpose aligns perfectly with the organizational purpose. Now it's nuanced. It's difficult. It's constantly being challenged. And there are going to be people that won't go along and there are hard decisions. There are absolutes. And there will be times when some people have to be, Moved out of the out of what the role is they're in because they're they're blockades, they're not obstacles. They look at obstacles like the obstacle course you can get over. These these are individuals that maybe have to, they lose their job. They, you know things happen that say, okay, it isn't going to work. But in my mind, that's better. Not in a sense of evil, it's better for everyone because we're putting square pegs in round holes. That's hurting you as an individual. So maybe it's time for you to go find a place where. You as a square peg can find a square hole. And it's so I'm helping you. And you know, I give you a chance and I encourage you, if it doesn't work over time, then it's time to say, look, these are non-negotiables and it isn't working. So let us help you shift to a different position in the organization or maybe leave. So anyway, it's a mixed bag. I, I certainly don't want it to be sounding like it's a simple, one-time, one-and-done, as they say. It's a process that it doesn't end.
0: It's constant. I love to there, Scott, with what you were talking about, like initially there you're mentioning with it, you've got to as a leader be, have that humility, but go into dialogue and be inquisitive and try to understand why someone's blocking and what their purpose is first. And then the other thing you're talking about there is, well, where their purpose and their beliefs and their behaviors don't align where is that seat on the bus? I guess, as Jim Collins would say, that you, maybe that does marry up. And okay, in the odd occasion, it won't marry up anywhere, and there'll be another bus for them to get on and hopefully find that square peg in that square hole. That's awesome. Scott, that's a
1: great mix of metaphors. I like it though; it's very well done. <laughs> yes, Thank awesome. you for that. I'm going to use that. <laughs>
0: Please do. Go to enterpriseexcellencepodcast.com backslash downloads to get hold of a book overview and press release Scott has kindly provided us. Please like, subscribe and share this podcast to help others gain insights and create a better future. Scott, let's call an end to this episode. I'll be keen to chat more about why leaders don't seem to want to engage in dialogue or have difficulty. At least that's what I'm finding here in Australia in our part two chat.
1: Thanks again, Scott, for the great first episode. We'll chat again next week. Bye for now.